0: The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going everybody? Welcome to the show! You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for episode 115. So excited. We got so much great stuff to talk about this week. I just finished the prep for it not five minutes before the episode started. So it was very irresponsible of me. I kind of procrastinated this week, but I've been pretty busy this week getting ready for my big trip to China that I talked about last week. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but. Uh, So much great stuff to talk about. I'm excited to be here with you. Um, by the time you listen to this, we'll probably know who's in the Super Bowl. So let me just say right now, congratulations to the Jags slash Vikings or Patriots slash Vikings or Patriots slash Eagles or Jags slash Eagles on making it to the Super Bowl. So yay for you. You can rate, review and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast. And I very much hope that you do because it helps us move up our podcast in the world. We're at iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play and Stitcher. Those are the four horsemen of our podcasting apocalypse where you can find us and we really hope that you can just you know throw us some love on any of those platforms to help us move up in the world you can reach out to the break the business podcast at my email address break at gmail.com if you have questions that you want us to answer on this show either on the indie music side the entertainment law side or just what you want us to talk about some pop culture whatever you want us to talk about on this show let us know and we will accommodate as i say every week the show is at its best when we are specifically addressing the questions and the topics that you want us to answer. We're ba- we're basically a piano bar, except I'm not that great at playing the piano, but we still take your requests. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. You follow me, I follow back. I love having conversations on Twitter. And we're also at facebook.com slash break the business. Get a copy of my book. Break the business, clearing your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our guest coming up in the next segment. This guy is so awesome. Graham Cochran is going to be joining us. Graham is the founder of the Recording Revolution. This is a fantastic platform. It's geared toward helping musicians like you make better recordings affordably. It's got a lot of paid content on it, but it's got a lot of free content too. So depending on... Your level of interest, depending on what your budget is, there's a lot of great stuff on that platform to help you make your own music. And I'm excited to talk to him for two reasons. One is that for you as an indie artist, it is so important for you to learn how to make music at home. As we've talked about on this podcast in the past, this industry is all about hyper creation. The artists that are succeeding, the DIY musicians that are really kicking ass, that are making a name for themselves, that are able to pay their own rent with their music, they are making a lot of music all the time. The days of just kind of making one album, 12 tracks every two or three years, those days are over. The fans, your fans, expect to see a lot of music from you all the time. A new song every week, a new song every two weeks, something new to show them so they never have a chance to forget about you. And... 20 years ago, that would have been a crazy request for your fans to have. Because it was hard to distribute music 20 years ago. It was hard to make music 20 years ago. But today, it's not outlandish at all. Because in today's music industry, you can basically... The only limit to you creating music is you actually writing the song, and creating it. There are no more barriers to distribution. There's so many ways to get music out there on YouTube or on distribution platforms like CD Baby and TuneCore. That's easy as pie, and very delicious pie at that. And on the creation side, thanks to all the great advancements we've had in recording technology, music that used to have to be made in these giant studio palaces, these million-dollar things with consoles that looked like you were on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise... You don't need those anymore. You can make fantastic sounding recordings right at your home with affordable equipment and you don't need that much training to know how to do it. Now, is what you're going to create at home going to be as nice as what you make at the Starship Enterprise Studio Palace? No, but your fans don't expect that in terms of just getting music from you consistently. They're willing to take something that you make in your home. And I'll say this, dollar for dollar, What you make at home is going to beat what's in the studio palace any time. You get a lot more for your money with some of the great technology that's out there. And how you use that technology, how you get the training for it, you use resources like RecordingRevolution.com that are going to give you the information that you need. So I'm excited to talk to Graham Cochran so that he can give us some advice on how to make recordings at home. And the second reason why I'm so excited to talk to Graham Cochran is that this guy just has a cool story. Even if you know everything there is to know about making music and you don't need Graham to give you tips, even though I find that hard to believe because this guy's an expert and no matter who you are, you're going to learn something from him. Even if you're not going to get anything out of him from that, you're going to be inspired by this guy's story because it is a story that we can all understand if you're an indie artist. This guy was laid off from his job. He had a kid and a wife and had to start his own career, didn't have any options, and he started up this platform. He started up Recording Revolution, and it didn't take off right away. Like any blog, it took a long time to get traction. I mean, for those those of you got to realize, when it comes to blogs or podcasts or anything like this, you often get the idea that these things are overnight successes, that you, you build an audience like that because you see so many stories of people who just start blogs and they become hits right away. But for the most part... Building a platform like Recording Revolution takes years. It takes a lot of dedication. Building traction takes a long time. And so it took him a couple years to build this platform to what it is today, which is a very, very, very lucrative platform. But it took him some time. But he hung in there. He stuck with it. And now he's the big boss of this platform that's doing really well. and He's built his own empire. And all of you as indie artists are trying to build your own empires. And so you're going to be inspired by his story. So I'm excited to have him on in the next segment. And when you're done listening to this episode, when you're done listening to Graham Cochran, you might want to go check out The Recording Revolution at www.recordingrevolution.com. All right, quick personal programming note before we get into the stories for this week, and before we bring in Graham, and before we do all the great stuff we're going to do this week, because we have a jam packed schedule of just podcasty goodness for you all here on episode 15. But before any of that, let me do a quick programming note. As I talked about last week on the podcast, I'm going to be going to China. I'm going to China in a couple days. I'm actually leaving Tuesday in the a.m., uh, about 5.45 in the morning on Tuesday. Brrr, not excited for that. And if you guys want to get an idea of how crazy time zones get in this world, all right, get a, get a load of this. I am leaving for China at 5:45 a.m. Tuesday. This is going to be a riddle that like, you're not going to believe how crazy this is. All right, I leave for China 5:45 a.m. Tuesday. I land in Beijing on the afternoon Thursday. I know. It's ridiculous because what happens is once you cross that international date line, which you do cuz you're flying west, Across the, you know, across the Pacific Ocean from Miami, you, you immediately go up twelve hours right there, and there's a 13-hour time difference between Miami, Florida, and China. And so after all the flying, after all the time in the air, after all the layovers, and after the 12 hour time difference, and after crossing the international dateline and all that stuff, I <laughs> I leave for China Tuesday morning, I end up in China Thursday afternoon. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's just it's nuts. I don't know how I'm gonna just survive this. It's craziness. But The point is, none of you guys care about that. None of you guys care about what my schedule is. What matters to you all is what's going to become of the podcast while I'm gone. Because I'm gone for two weeks, and there's just no way that I can run the podcast while I am over there. I just, I don't have my studio, Uh, the internet over there is kind of hit or miss, and some websites are blocked, and some websites aren't blocked, and I have every reason to believe that SoundCloud is blocked, and SoundCloud's the platform I use to put my podcast on. Oh dear, yeah, so... Um, I'm not going to be running the podcast for those two weeks. But as I promised last week, even though I am gone for the two next two weeks, I am not letting the podcast go dark. You will still have a podcast. And last week, I hinted at what might I might do for that podcast. I didn't have any ideas yet. I was sort of kicking some ideas around. But I am happy to tell you that I do now have a show that we're going to be doing for those two weeks for the next two weeks of the break the business podcast. I am thrilled to report that the break the business podcast will have a guest host in the form of our guest from last week, women, uh, Ashley Kervabon and the team from women crush music are going to be the guest host of our podcast. They are going to bring in a new perspective on the podcast. You're going to hear from actual musicians who are doing things in the music business You're going to hear you're going to get a woman's perspective on this, which is a nice touch. You're not just hearing from the same male voice every week. So you're going to get you're going to get some female perspective from women crush music. You're going to get you're going to hear from musicians and it's going to be kind of fun to let somebody new add their perspective to this podcast. And so what I ask all of you to do is be gentle with them. They are new to this, and I hope you will give them all a warm welcome for the next two weeks as they so graciously take over this podcast while I'm in China, and I'm really excited for this. I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing from a fresh perspective, hearing from somebody new, and I know that while I'm in China, the podcast is going to be in great hands, and I'm so excited for the next two weeks uh, for all of you. Um, Me, on the other hand, I know I have an adventure ahead of me in China, just Aside from the time difference, which I'm concerned about, uh, I will also tell you I'm a little worried about the weather. Uh, I'm spending two weeks in China. The first week in China is in Beijing, which is a little chilly. I think it's probably somewhere in the 30s, which is much, much colder than what we have here in Miami, but I can survive that. I lived in New York City for three years, so I know a thing or two about cold weather. But here's where I'm in trouble. Because the first week I'm in Beijing, the second week I'm going up to northeastern China, a little city called Harbin, which is where my wonderful wife was born and raised. And a lot of people don't know when you, look, uh, when you think of China, but when you look at a map of China and you look up on the northeastern part of it, where it goes way, way up there, it gets super north. I mean, northeastern China, it's way, way, way north. And there are winters, I have been told are horrifying. I've seen pictures of Harbin, and so I'm going up to a very, very, very cold part of the northern part of the world, right in the middle of winter, and I am, to be honest, I'm a little scared. (laughs) I mean, aside from the fact that I'm seeing the in-laws, which is always a frightening experience, although my in-laws are pretty delightful, uh, just the weather is horrifying me, and I'm afraid to check it, but I'm going to check the weather right now on Siri. We're all going to check it together. I'm afraid to know what it is, but I figure we'll just do it right now on the podcast. Let's rip the band-aid off. Here we go. Siri, what is the temperature right now in Harbin, China? Pretty cold in Harbin, China. Minus 20 degrees. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, dear God. No, no, that. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. I didn't even think it was gonna be I knew it was gonna be cold I was thinking maybe zero cold maybe like one below I didn't even know honest to God I didn't even know there was a negative 20 that existed I didn't know that was actually a temperature that existed on this world unless maybe you got to the North Pole or something holy crap that's not I'm gonna tell my wife I'm not going Negative 20, get the hell out of here. I mean, we actually did get the hell out of here because it's negative 20. There's no way hell is anywhere near there at that temperature. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right. Let me give you listeners a basis of comparison so that you know what I'm up against here and what I'm worried about here. Siri, what is the temperature right now in Miami, Florida? It's currently 75 degrees, 75 degrees. That is a, a what? A 95 degree swing in temperature. Right now I am in a situation where I am about to face a 95 degree temperature change in the, by the time I land in Harbin, China, that's nuts. All right. I'm a Miamian. As I, as I've said in past episodes of the podcast, I'm very accustomed to this weather. I don't even own clothing that is, that that works in cold weather. I don't think I have the clothes for negative 20 degrees. I'm just going to wear a bunch of layers of just t-shirts and shorts, and like I'm going to have 50 layers of t-shirts and shorts, because that's all I have to handle this weather. I'm not even sure if I have a ski jacket. I'm not even sure what store I would go to to get a ski jacket for what I'm about to get. Negative, tw- negative 20. 95 degree swing, 75 to 20 below. Oh, okay. All right, anyway. But look, I'm complaining, but first of all, I am very happy to meet my in-laws and I need to focus on that, just how happy I am to see my family, how happy my wife will be to see her family. She hasn't been able to see them very often, only every few months, so I, I need to suck this one up. And more importantly, what I'm about to go through in terms of this massive temperature change is a Ryan problem. It's not a you problem. It's not a listener problem, so... I can see why you might think to yourself, well, I don't care what Ryan's going through. And yeah, thanks for the sympathy, by the way. But either way, you guys are taken care of. Because the, the point is, for the next two weeks, the podcast will be taken over by Women Crush Music, who will run the show while I'm overseas, and will do a fantastic job, and you're going to love it. So there you go. All right. Before we bring in Graham, Graham Cochran, a story. I want a couple stories I want to talk about this week. First, real quick. Just as an update, you artists only have until March 12th to opt into a licensing program that will get your songs monetized when they're used by people on Facebook. So I don't know if you've been reading in the news, but Facebook's been doing a lot of deals with publishing companies and record labels to allow the songs from those... That are owned by those respective organizations, either on the recording side or the songwriting side, to get used on Facebook and to allow those people to get paid so the rights owners can get compensated. We all like that. And there's also a vehicle for indie artists to get their stuff monetized on Facebook as well. It's free to set up. You can do it through the Harry Fox agency. And if you want directions on how to make it happen, because it is kind of a little bit of a weird step-by-step process... There is a great article in Digital Music News called Artists Have Less Than 60 Days to Opt Into Facebook's Direct License, and that article, again, is called Artists Have Less Than 60 Days to Opt Into Facebook's Direct License. That article will walk you through step-by-step how to set your songs up for Facebook monetization. All right, Um, one other thing, and oh goodness, I'm excited to talk about this one, and I never thought that this sentence would ever leave my mouth, but let's talk about Lil Pump. Lil Pump. (laughs) And, And credit to my favorite person in the world on this podcast, Dave, who we all love. We love Dave. Dave is the one who sent me this story, which is crazy to me because Dave is always like he's always about the pop culture. And when he was on this podcast before he moved away it seemed like all he wanted to do was play defense against us talking about the music business on the show. And he just wanted to talk about movies and pop culture, which is okay because I love those things. But what's funny is that every once in a while, he does send me a really good music business story to talk about on the podcast. And it's just, it, it throws me for a loop. I'm like, Oh, is this the same Dave? Yes, it is. And this is a fantastic story that I absolutely have to share with you for this one main reason. Our podcast And pretty much the whole Break the Business brand, to the extent that one exists, is all about attacking the record label model. We are fighting the labels because we fight for indie artists. And we recognize here at the Break the Business podcast that never has there been a better time for artists to achieve success on their own terms in a music career. Never has that... It has been easier to make, to promote, to fundraise, and to distribute your music than right now. This is the time to do it. And that is a great thing because the alternative to doing it yourself is signing a record deal. And record deals suck. They're so bad. I've said to people all the time in my legal career, I've yet to see a record deal that I would ever advise a client to sign. It has yet to happen once. I've never seen a fair record deal and certainly not one that's better than doing it yourself which you can now do more more easily than ever in the music industry. And so I built I wrote a whole book about the dangers of record deals called Break the Business: Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. And now we have this podcast which has been running for 115 episodes and is all about the dangers of record deals and how you can achieve success on your own terms in your music career and giving you the information you need to do it. That's that's what I that's that's my reason for existing, folks. And so because that is our brand, because we do not like the record label model, whenever we can find an opportunity on this podcast to make fun of a major label for doing something colossally dumb, you better believe we're going to do it. And so Little Pump has allowed us to have a story in which we get to make fun of a record label for doing something colossally dumb. So let's... Let 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 the dunking begin, because here we go. First of all, if you don't know who Lil Pump is, he's a super famous hip hop artist going on right now. He is, he just a. a come out of nowhere, massive hit maker. He's got one of the biggest songs out right now called Gucci Gang. We love him here in Miami because Lil Pump is a local kid. He grew up down in Miami. He is a member of this really, really cool hip hop scene we have in Miami that honestly doesn't get the love it deserves. You know, people think hip hop, they think New York, they think LA, but there's some cool stuff coming out of Miami's music scene, man. And and Lil Pump is an example of this. And he's doing some cool stuff in the music business right now. He's achieving some amazing things. He's got a, he's, he's awesome. The kids love him. And he's doing all this when he's only 17 years old. He's got a massive hit in the song Gucci Gang. And he's only 17. I'm nearly twice his age. and I And I cannot begin to achieve the things he's achieved. Uh, what have I done with my life compared to this kid? I mean, he's he's 17, I'm 32, and he's just kicking ass. Respect, Lil Pump, respect. From one Miamian to another, you're the man. So that's what you need to know about Lil Pump. He's doing some cool stuff in hip hop. He's only 17 years old. He's a Miami kid. We love that. And so here's the story. Last year, Lil Pump's crushing it on SoundCloud. Like many of these hip-hop artists that are going right now, they achieve great success on SoundCloud. They do some cool things on that platform. They amass a terrific indie following on that platform. And so it was only a matter of time before the label started sniffing around Lil Pump. And so he was able to sign a deal with Warner Brothers, a major label. And earlier this month, Billboard magazine reported that Lil Pump had voided that record deal. He voided it back in December. He got out of that record deal. And now you might be asking yourself, how was he able to do that? If you've listened to this podcast at all, if you've read my book, you know that record labels are very hard to get out of. Once you sign a record deal as an artist, if you decide that this deal isn't working for you, that the label is not supporting you, that the label's taking all of your money, that the label is taking all of your intellectual property, that the label is taking a huge chunk of your non-record revenue, even though they've done nothing to deserve it, you'd probably really like to get out of that contract. But you can't because they write these contracts so that the artist has no ability to get out. You see, because the way these deals are structured, there's really only two ways for an artist to get out of a record deal. Way number one, the label drops you. And the label's not going to do that unless they really think that it's in their interest to do so because they have every reason to keep you around as long as there's any chance you might still make any money for them. And the only other way to get out of a record deal is to complete a record deal. But record deals are often based on completing a, a set number of albums. Usually there are three album deals or there are five album deals. And because the label has full control over when you release your albums, when you record your albums, when your albums get put out, effectively the label gets to decide how long you're in this contract. So if you're stuck in a record deal, barring some miracle, you're stuck. And you can't get out even when you want to. And believe me, after some time in a record deal, you'll probably want to because they're taking your money, they're taking your IP, they're controlling your life, they're telling you who to record with, when to record, and you're losing all your artistic freedom, which sucks in this industry where you've never had more freedom than ever if you are an indie artist. So... Lil Pump was able to void his record deal. How was he able to do that, you might be wondering, given how hard it is to get out of a deal. Well, if you are a particularly keen listener to my Lil Pump story that I've been talking about so far, then you might already have an idea of how Lil Pump got out of his deal. As I said before, Lil Pump is 17. He was 16 when he signed the deal. And any first-year law student's going to tell you that contracts entered into by minors are voidable by the minor. And so Lil Pump voided his contract, and now he's a free man, uh, Billboard is reporting. He's an indie again. That's so, so cool. And the big reason why I want to tell this story, as I said before, is this was a royal screw-up. And we love to make fun of record labels around here. We relish any opportunity to make fun of labels, to dunk on them when they can. And believe me, this is such a blunder by Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers screwed up so bad. And honestly, I don't know how this happened. I'm flabbergasted. How can a record label, and one of the major record labels, in fact, mess this up? I mean, the legal rule that they got nailed on here, where Lil Pump tricked them, basically, this idea that miners can void the contracts they entered into, this is Basic contract law. This is rudimentary entry level stuff. This is the stuff they teach you on the first day of Contracts 101. Like, basically, my Contracts 101 class in law school was hey, everybody, welcome to Contracts 101. Oh, by the way, if you're under 18, you can void a contract you enter into. Like, it's that basic, people. Uh, (laughs) And any first year law student can tell you this rule. You can find the dumbest law student in America who's flunking contracts right now, and he'd know this rule. No matter how little they know about contract law, they know this rule. I'm serious. Go find the dumbest law student in America, and they're going to say, Dad, two things I know for sure about contract law. Contract, it starts with a K, and minors can void their contracts. That, like, That's, I'm telling you, it's that basic. So how on earth did Warner Brothers who I assume have very qualified lawyers working for them, who have lawyers who have very nice law degrees on their wall with very pretty suits and good ties and work in offices much nicer than any office I've ever worked in. How could they possibly mess this up? And it's all the more staggering because the law actually provides ways for people who do contract with minors to get around this rule. For example, in California, Warner Brothers could have used the Coogan Act which allows a court to look at your contract between you and a minor and ratify it if it's an entertainment contract and make the contract effective and and prevent the minor from voiding it later. So there's actually a mechanism that they could have used and they didn't use it. They just it just slipped their mind. And I'm guessing, I mean, the cynic in me says the reason why Warner Brothers didn't use this judicial review procedure is because for a court to approve the contract under the Coogan Act, the court would actually have had to have deemed the contract fair, and record deals aren't exactly the fairest documents in the world. But either way, Warner Brothers just played and screwed up. They signed a minor to a contract. The minor got out of the contract as is his legal right in any jurisdiction I can think of, and now Pump is a free man. And so, awesome! So big win for Lil Pump. We get to dunk on record labels. This is a good day. And so now the question people might be wondering is, what's Lil Pump gonna do now? Well. We do know one thing for sure. He is not interested in getting back into a record deal unless that record deal can really be worth his while. That record deal needs to be particularly lucrative. And I know this because he posted a video recently which makes that point very clear. And I want to post this video that he sent out to all his fans. But before I do, I want to make a disclaimer, okay? This video by Lil Pump has some seriously Filthy, filthy language, like face meltingly filthy. So, if you want to keep your face unmelted, then go ahead and just skip the podcast ahead thirty seconds. I'm, just, I'm, i letting you know now. But for those of us who are like, yeah, I want my face melted, melt away, then here I'm going to go ahead and play Lil Pump's video right now. Lil Pump got something to say. I ain't signing to nutty fucking labels for nothing less than twelve to fifteen mil. So y'all think y'all about to fucking get me for the low, y'all can go suck my
1: fucking dick.
0: Fuck all y'all labels, man.
1: Like what I said. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I want that to be my cell phone ringtone. Like I want to be in a business meeting negotiating with record labels and then have Lil Pump just come on saying, bleep y'all labels, man. Yeah, that's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not, yeah, if I'm going to get back into this record label morass again, I'm going to want a deal that gives me 12 to 15 million. Like, that's awesome. He understands the power he has as an indie artist. He built his own career with SoundCloud. He built his own following and he realized, well, what the hell do I need a label for? I'm getting out of this deal because they signed me as a minor, which was stupid and and now he's got all the cards on his side. Like, good for you, little pump. Look, pump, I'm going to say this right now. Pump, if you're listening, let me give you some advice. All right, one Miami guy to another. All right, we, 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 I, I can't purport to suggest that we've had similar upbringings. You know, I grew up in the mean streets of Kendall. <laughs> but, but, we, but we share a hometown, my friend. So let me talk to you. All right, one Miami guy to another. Don't sign a deal. Not for 12 million, not for 15 million, not for anything. Buddy, you don't need it. You got everything. You, you got all the cards on your side. You got the fame. You got the promotion. You're making hits. You got the fans. Keep yourself indie. Keep your intellectual property. Keep control over your career. No money they're going to give you is probably worth it. Because they're going to try to sign you to a 360 provision. They're going to want to take your merchandise. They're going to take your live performances. They're going to take all this other stuff that they don't have access to get. You are your own business. You are you are everything a record label can be. So just, you, you got the right idea, man. You're a free man. Own it. Break the business, as we say. And uh, congratulations to Lil Pump for, for just being awesome and for exercising a rather terrific legal maneuver, for for outmaneuvering warner brothers lawyers kudos to you sir all right graham cochran up next keep listening to the break the business podcast ryan here from the podcast shameless plug time my new book break the business declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry is now available in paperback and an ebook the book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation promotion distribution and fundraising Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. He is an entrepreneur, musician, music engineer, and the founder of Recording Revolution, an online platform geared towards helping musicians create better recordings affordably. You can find out more about his work and his platform's course content and services by visiting www.recordingrevolution.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Graham Cochran is on the Break the Business podcast. Hey, Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm excited for this. Uh, ever since this interview got scheduled, I wanted to get into a discussion with you about the opportunities that musicians have to create great sound recordings at a reasonable price because I know you know all about that. But first, what I really want to talk about is I want to give your the listeners a chance to hear about your story in particular because it's really cool. You started Recording Revolution after you lost your job, when the startup you worked for went under and you had the courage to fight through that, go out on your own and completely change your career. Can can you give us an idea of what the toughest days were like for you and how you were able to turn things around and get things to where you are today?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, uh, it was a there were a lot of dark days um, because I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was a musician slash in freelance engineer. I would record and mix bands on the side. That was already part of my my world. But when I lost the job, we had just also moved a thousand miles away from home. We'd moved down to Florida. We had bought our first house and had our first baby. And then I lost my job oh. during the recession. So it was really stacked, <laughs> it was an awfully oh. emotionally charged time. Um, so I was trying to get as many gigs as I could recording and mixing in a new town. But uh, the blog was something I started... Originally, to get more clients, I I, have, I thought it would be a kill two birds with one stone. I have a, so many musicians that are friends of mine that just always ask me the same questions about recording and gear and what do I need to buy, and I figured, you know, I could make one little resource online that answers the the main questions I get all the time instead of re emailing the answers out. I could make this little website, send all my friends to it. But I thought maybe if I blogged a bit about what I'm doing in the studio for a, an artist I'm mixing, or a song I'm recording for an artist that maybe, by being online, I would be found to get more clients. That's what I was hoping to do with the recording revolution. Uh, it turns out people were actually more interested in what I was sharing about how to do it, like how to record and how to mix. And so, yeah, that was the genesis of it, but I wasn't making any money off of the site for uh, you know a year to eighteen months. We were on food stamps, and it, we were just trying to make money it was a really, really rough time. So yeah, the darkest days were sitting in my, my little home studio, um, in between gigs and you know, when there's no gigs, there's no money. And I'm writing articles and shooting videos about recording and mixing and, and interacting with people on Twitter and doing stuff that's helping people, but not making any money off of it and sitting there feeling like, am I really helping my family or am I just having fun and just, you know, having a little hobby. Is there any way to turn this into a business? And I had no way of knowing for a while. So I had a lot of insecurity. Um, there was no model I was following. I didn't know about any resources to, to reach out to, to know if I could, could actually monetize what I was doing. I was literally just guessing. Um, and you know, family members and friends were real confused as to, you know, what are you doing for money? You're trying to blog. I'm like, yeah, you're blogging about audio. Can't you blog about like Fitness or money or something that actually has a track, you know, a track record of making money, <laughs> but but audio and recording, who's going to pay you for? I, I don't know. So it was a very, it, I would define that period of 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 my life as total insecurity, um, not a lot of confidence. I don't want people to think that I had this grand plan. I really feel like uh, that God led me into a season of like doing this without knowing why. And I, and I felt like he wanted me to do it. My wife supported me, but we couldn't really see how it was going to work. So yeah, it was, it was a really frustrating time.
0: I mean, that's crazy to me. Cause I mean, the story would have been one thing if it was, I lost my job and it was tough, but then I started this blog and it took off and now look at me today, but you started this blog and then had two years, you know, putting out content and not getting a response right away. How in the world did you stay motivated to get through, you know, just the early days of that blog? Because that that seems crazy to me.
1: Yeah, it is. You know, it is crazy. But it would it would have been really crazy if there was zero response across the board. If nobody cared, uh, then I think I think I would have quit. Um, I didn't make money at first, but what I did have, even a, a month or two in, was a response from the 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 students that I was reaching, uh, there were people that would f- somehow find a video on YouTube or find a blog and say, Oh, this is refreshing. Or I'm so glad I found you on bookmarking your site. Or can you do more content on, you know, this or that? And they seemed so excited to find me, um, which was encouraging because to me, there were already some great resources out there. So I don't, if anyone's ever tried to do something that's already been done before, and you're like, Oh, it's already been done before. That's the way I felt. When starting the recording revolution, there were some great resources already out there. But for some reason, the way I taught things or the topics I dove into or my opinions, because they can be strong at times, um, really resonated with people. And it was that that kept me going because I knew I was building a tribe of people. I knew that there was something there. I just didn't make any money off of it. So. If there was not any of that, I think I would have for sure quit. But that was what kept me going. And a lot of times because I knew that it was helping people and I knew it was one of those things that if I disappeared or shut the site down, people would be sad. And that's a good place to be. It's not the only place, because if you don't make money, it's still just a hobby, but it was a start, and that kept me going.
0: Well, let me then ask you about the next kind of natural step in all of this, because even though we're talking about your recording blog, I think the indie artist listeners out there can still gain a lot of lessons because they're trying to do something similar with their music career by building a tribe. So absolutely, as you're building this tribe up, as you're getting people engaged in what you're doing, how were you able to sort of turn that critical mass of people into people who could then pay you and support your life.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the question, right? I think um, I, th- I think it's 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 relatively simple and then hard to pull off, but it's simple in concept. In that, you know, you start by giving people free stuff, and you find out what it is that they want. You find out who these people are, and and what can I give them that's valuable. If you're a musician, a lot of times these days, you know, that's unfortunately your music. You're, you're giving your music away a lot of times as the free thing that's valuable and that gets your music shared. It gets people to consume it because they, why should they buy your music if they've never heard it, if they don't know anything about you? So for me, that was my blog posts and my videos. I would make like three posts a week. I committed to making really good content. I, I treat it as if it were paid content. So if you watch this, this video, it, I'm not going to hold back anything and like you know, only give you half of the truth. I'm going to give you the whole thing in this video so that you could watch a 10 minute YouTube video and you could go try the thing I told you to do in your recording studio and it would work. Um, so I would give and give and give. And once I found out what kind of content people liked and they were consuming and just commenting and engaging on and saying, this is great. Then the thought was, okay, what, what, more can I offer it that's like this, but goes more in depth or is more all encompassing or has more access to me, um, or holds their hand a bit more or whatever it could be. That could be the paid portion that I know most people won't buy, but I don't need everybody to buy, you know, the old 80 20 rule. I need, you know, 10, 20% of my audience maybe to buy what I have to uh, sell. And then if that size of the, the pie grows enough, it can support my family. So for me, that was the recording revolution. Is mostly free content. I usually say it's about 95% free content, but the other five percent are in-depth courses that, they, that my students can buy um, on everything from how to record a band, how to mix your music, how to use Pro Tools, how to um, even start to uh, start a freelance side business as an audio engineer. There's a lot of things I go way in depth on that you can pay for, but I spend a lot of my time making free stuff. So as an artist or a musician, it's kind of what. It's similar to you, you spend a lot of your time making great quality stuff that you give away for free, let's say, but you have that reserved paid portion, and your true fans, they'll want everything you do, and if it's really good, and you over-deliver all the time, they'll pay you for that really, really good stuff.
0: Well, that's, that's a great kind of philosophy, and I think you're absolutely right that musicians can sort of build off that model and learn from it, and congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Just such a cool story. I, um, I imagine everyone listening is inspired by it. And let's talk a little bit about what you this message you uh, bring out on recording revolution. The website provides lots of tips and course content to help musicians make great quality recordings. And recently you made a video on that platform called "There are no Excuses for Not Making Music, in which you discuss some of the more common excuses that you, you have heard from musicians on why they can't make music on their own. What are some of those excuses that you hear most often, and why are those mu- excuses misguided?
1: Yeah, the, honestly, the blog, the, the Recording Revolution, the name of my brand, is it describes what I think we're living through. And this was started, mind you, in 2009, uh, and it's only more true now in 2018, um, which is that this is a revolutionary time to be a music maker. It is the best time on in the history of the world to be a musician because um you have every tool that you need to get idea from your head to directly to your fans and then now even get paid for it um cheaply or free and easily and your audience can be the whole world so the portion of that that i talk about a lot is the recording side of things how do you get a great song that you know is great maybe you play it live people love it but you you need a recording of it obviously you don't have to go to studios anymore, and that was true eight nine years ago when I got started, and it's even more true now. So one of the excuses is, yeah, I know there's home recording equipment, but there's going to be a difference between going to a studio and the quality that that recording will have versus doing it on my own at home. For the two reasons that a I'm not really an engineer, so how can I do a good job? And then b I'm in a home studio, how can it sound that good? Whether it's because it's in a bedroom or a basement, or because the the gear is cheaper. And both of those are just excuses because these days so many records are being made on the cheap. And when I mean on the cheap, I mean for a few hundred bucks uh, are being made like records completely done top to bottom in bedrooms, uh, in closets, in basements, in living rooms with affordable gear because everything changed once recording went digital, once it moved into just like cameras, just like photography's changed, um, cinematography's changed, filming has changed because the digital revolution made the equipment so much cheaper, which means it's so much more accessible, which means you can now get studio grade quality for cheap. You can do it at home and you now also have the resources to learn how to do this, uh, without having to go to audio school. I mean, I went to college for audio and it's not cheap. Um, And it's only gotten more expensive. And I'm not saying that the programs aren't valuable to a certain degree, but I I don't really don't think people should go to audio school. Honestly, if you want to be an engineer, I think you can get on YouTube and figure it out. It's really not that hard. Um, But it's like anything. It takes practice. But we now are in a revolutionary period where gear is cheap and we're moving away from the whole let's keep the secrets of recording to ourselves as the the top engineers would, would do. No one would reveal how they did their recordings and mixes. But now we're in a more of a sharing economy in the sense that people are willing to share information. Uh, and I think you have everything at your disposal as a musician to now figure out how and afford how to create killer sounding recordings. So those are just the, the gear excuse and the I'm not good enough excuse are the two big ones, two of the three. And uh, those are eliminated primarily because of the the age we live in. Yeah.
0: All right. So let's say you have a musician who walks up to you and I'm sure you get this one all the time. You know, I'm a great musician and I want to learn how to make and produce my own music, but I know nothing about production. I mean, other than how to turn the microphone on, where do I start? What's the, what's the best way to learn quickly? Is there, is there a starter software or hardware that you recommend?
1: Yeah, if you're a Mac person, you already have software on your computer. It's called GarageBand. Amen. And I'm telling you, I've, I've done songs on GarageBand start to finish, and, and that was years ago when GarageBand was even more limited than it is now. GarageBand is a great way to make a record. So you don't even need to spend any money on software. So that's free. Uh, if you're not, if you're on PC, um, you can use something called Pro Tools first, both Mac and PC. Pro Tools is is one of the oldest recording and mixing platforms. Uh, I use it. I love it. There's lots these days. You don't need pro tools, but they have a free version now, which they finally got smart and brought back a free version called pro tools. First, you can download it for free, uh, on Mac or PC. And it's got some limitations, like how many tracks you can do, but honestly, you can make a whole record on it. And, and to, to be fair, to prove that I did that, I, I have a whole video series on my site. That's completely free, um, called how to record a song from scratch. Uh, So it's a whole guide that goes with it. It's absolutely free. So if you go to Recording Revolution and there's a a button that says Free Guides and just go there, it'll say how to record a song from scratch. What I did was record an entire song um, using gear that cost less than $350 total. And I used that free version of Pro Tools that I downloaded uh, to my laptop. And then I I ended up mixing the whole song and producing the whole song. So you can see the evolution of a song using Cheap equipment and free software, and uh, that's where I would tell people to start on the software front.
0: I love that you put your money where your mouth is. I can certainly appreciate that.
1: Oh, absolutely, and and I mean, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo like that. I like to prove how you can do it so cheaply, um, because some people still don't believe that it's possible. And so I'll always, you know, get really cheap setups and do it. But as far as setups go, like what to buy, um, it's getting cheaper every year. I finally got smart and and put together like a a a write up of recommendations because I was always just mentioning specific pieces of gear. But I have another free guide you can download. uh, My studio gear guide. I upload it or update it every year, so I just updated it for 2018. But uh, if you go to studiogearguide.com, you can download it. And what this does is I decided to try to list all the components you would need in a home studio. You basically need one microphone. You need what's called an audio interface, which is like your little box that allows you to plug in guitar cables and keyboard cables and microphone cables and headphones and speakers. And it goes, you know, USB or whatever to your Mac or PC. It's kind of like your little connection box. Um, and then you'll need some speakers or headphones and you'll need a cable and you'll need a, a mic stand and what's called a pop shield. Very simple stuff. I walk you through what you need and I show you different price points. So like if you can only spend a hundred dollars on the microphone, here are some that I recommend. If you can, if you can spend $250 on a microphone, here's what I recommend. So I have different budgets for all the different gear you need. And then I also recommend specific setups. Like if you were going to start from scratch, uh, and you had, you know, $500 to spend total I would get this or $350 to spend total. I would get all these things. So that's a free resource you can get. there's, and that's just a sampling of what's out there. These are all ones that I know and use. I don't make any money off these products. There's no affiliate links. It's just, these are the ones I can personally vouch for, but there's so many brands copycatting each other, making cheaper versions of the same gear. And they all sound great that it's just a it's like Candyland. You're living in the best place in the best time in the world. It's take your pick, and it'll sound good. The, usually the reason home recordings sound bad is because the, it's user error. It's just the person doesn't know what they're doing. And that there's no shortcut to that. That's what, the way my site exists is to help people get better at that faster. But that just takes time. But I think that's encouraging because that means it's not a money problem. You don't have to spend lots of money to win this game. You just have to be willing to get good at this craft, and, and you can do it quicker than you think.
0: Cool. And can you tell us a little bit more about some of the more services that you provide over at Recording Revolution? I know you talked about some of the articles and stuff, but for the listeners out there who are going to really want to dive into RecordingRevolution.com, maybe get into some of the courses, uh, what would they be in for?
1: Yeah, so I cover a lot of things in depth, like, you know, how to record your music. You know, that I cover that in so many free videos, but I have a, a whole course Called Total Home Recording, and what I d- decided to do was just film. If I brought in a whole band into my one little tiny studio, my my recording studio is one third of a three-car garage, so it, it's a very small room. So it's it's very similar to anyone's bedroom. It's just a little rectangle box, um, and there's just enough room for a drum kit right behind where I sit. So it's not big. I don't have multiple rooms. It's nothing fancy. Um, I'm, I'm in my garage, and so. I decided to film the process of bringing in a band and recording a drum kit, recording bass, recording guitars, vocals, and then explaining the process of how do you layer things and then arrange things and show the song from rough demo to finished recording and teach people how to do that and film the whole thing. And and that's a, a super awesome course. And I have courses like that on all the different elements of recording and mixing. Um, but again, there's so much free material. I honestly, if you go to the site, Um, and, and start with the free guides. That's where I tell people to start, start with whether it's the, how to record a song from scratch guide, how to mix a song from scratch, uh, how to build a home studio for $350. I have those, those are all free guides you can download, uh, and try out the free material. See if you like the free material. Um, I'll send you more other free stuff. There's a whole live workshop that you can watch online. That's really, really cool. Um, do the free stuff and implement that, because if you get results with my free stuff, then you'll know that I know what I'm talking about, that I can help you. If you don't get results or don't like the way I teach, I wouldn't want you to buy any of my courses, because maybe I'm not a good fit for you, but I try to put out so much free stuff that you can you can test drive it, as it were.
0: Well, you got to appreciate anybody, listeners, who has enough confidence in the free stuff that he's put now that just says, check out what I got for free. If you love it, then we'll talk about the courses. That's... <laughs> that that uh, I, I really admire uh, the the pride you have in your materials there. That's fantastic. Uh, Graham, it has been so cool learning about recording revolution, and your story has inspired us, and I'm grateful for that. Before we let you go, do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward?
1: man, there there's so much you could do. I love how you you describe it as it is a business if you're an independent artist, you are a business. You have to think like a business owner, which is hard because we're not by trade. And I totally get that. We're, we're creatives. Um, but let me, one thing I was thinking about that's just tactical and simple. And I bring it up because I was having discussions about this just this week with a bunch of musicians. Most people don't think about this, but the best thing I could say is start building an email list Please start building an email list, meaning collect email addresses everywhere you go. So if you have a website as an artist or a band, give something valuable away for free, whether it's a free download of an exclusive single or an acoustic version of your song or a behind-the-scenes video of how you made your single or uh, a live recording of something that they can't get anywhere else. Give them something valuable for free in exchange for their email address. Uh, it'll build goodwill because you're giving them more content or more more cool tracks. But then you can collect their email address so that when you are touring or when you have a new record or when you're going to launch some paid online thing, you can contact them directly. Don't, don't bank on social media. Please don't do that. Facebook just changed their algorithm again this week. Um, where a lot of brands and businesses uh, are not going to be showing up in people's feeds anymore. They're going to try to change it up so you see more friends and family. So that that's bad for anyone that's trying to promote something. Um, you can't bank on any social media platform to be the way to contact your people because, A, the platform could disappear, or B, the rules could change. But email addresses... Or that you own them once you get them you have access to them you can email them anytime people rarely change their email address It sounds like it's 1999 like all oh, email's so old. But email I'm telling you is the way to build a brand and all the big brands do it Whether it's banana republic or home depot or recording revolution or anything out there We all use email to get a hold of our, our best people and you do that by offering something valuable So th- if you haven't started an email list. That's what I would say start one today And if you have, then continue to focus on that as you uh, build your audience.
0: Again, you can check them out, folks, at RecordingRevolution.com. Man, that is great advice on the email list. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Whenever I tell the young musicians about that, they always think I'm just the old guy telling you to get off my lawn. But look, man, think about all those musicians that built their music career on Vine, and then Vine goes away tomorrow, and you've lost everything. Like you got to have your native platforms, email list, website, so very important. Uh, Graham, thank you so much for your time this week. I'm so excited that uh, you were able to share your insight with the listeners. Don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon.
1: I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for the invite.
0: We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast.
1: Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the
0: Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little bit about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Graham Cochran for joining us in the previous segment. Be sure to check out The Recording Revolution, a cool, cool platform to learn how to make music on your own recordingrevolution.com. You can also follow Recording Revolution on Twitter at Recording Rev. Love Graham Cochran. What a cool dude. Not only is he knowledgeable about what he does, which is obviously an important (laughs) credential for a good podcast guest to have on this show. You want somebody who knows what they're doing about what they're doing. And he certainly checks that box off in spades. But I also love the guy as a guest because he is a fighter. I mean, he's smart. He's knowledgeable, but he's a fighter. This guy kicked and screamed and threw his heart and soul into Recording Revolution and built it into a terrific platform that helps so many indie artists. And not only do we learn something from his expertise, but we all learn from his example. We are all inspired by what he has accomplished and how he, he made a bet on himself And he won big time. And that's what we're all trying to do. And what you're all trying to accomplish as indie artists. So kudos to you, Graham. Please don't be a stranger. We want to talk to you again real soon. You are super cool. Before we go this week, before I begin packing for China, I still haven't packed yet. I really got to get on that. Before I make sure all my paperwork's in order. Before I make sure that I have all the winter coats I'm going to need to survive in Harbin, China. Let me get it one more time. Siri, what is the temperature in Harbin, China? Pretty cold in Harbin, China. Minus 22 degrees. Oh, come on. It went up. It was negative 20. And now it's negative 22. I should say it went down if we want to be correct with negative numbers. It got colder in the time since I talked to Graham Cochran. It is now two degrees colder in Harbin, China. And I have to go over there. But uh, okay. So I got to get ready for that. Both in terms of packing as well as mentally prepare for what I'm going to be up against. Negative 22 degrees. Good God. But before I do that. I want to answer a listener question that I think is a pretty, pretty good one. So before I head off to China, before I put this podcast in the very capable hands of women crush music for the next two weeks, who I know are going to be awesome at it, let us answer a listener question before we go. This is a cool listener question. And if you want to By the way, send any listener questions to the podcast. You can email them at BreakTheBusiness at gmail.com or shoot them to me over at Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. But before we leave, here's the question for this week. A listener wanted to know the difference between exclusivity and non-exclusivity with regard to getting sync placements for your music. Very, very good question. Let's start from the beginning. A very good place to start. And talk about what sync placements are. So, one of the most lucrative revenue streams, particularly for indie musicians going right now in the music industry, is getting your songs placed in movies, television shows, video games, or what we call sync placements. And the reason why it's called sync is it's short for synchronization license which is a special kind of license that people have to pay for to have the right to take your music and to synchronize it with the video of a video game or a television show or a movie or a commercial. And these sync placements can be lucrative, especially if you own all of the rights To the song that you wrote as well as the sound recording, by the way, all the more reason to be an independent artist so that you can take advantage of these revenue streams. But let's say we have a situation where you wrote a song, you own the song, you recorded that song and you own the recording. And now movie studio X or TV network Y or production company Y or video game company Z or commercial producer I guess I ran out of letters of the alphabet, but you get the idea, want to use your song in their commercial slash video game slash movie slash TV show, whatever it is. There are a lot of different ways you get paid for that sync placement. So you get that synchronization license. That production company could pay you for the right to synchronize your music, your song that you wrote with the movie. They have to pay you to synchronize the master, the sound recording with the movie, and you get paid performance royalties for that uh, music being broadcasted on TV. If you get the right kind of sync placement, if it gets in the right kind of movie or TV show, you can get serious money for this. We're talking five figures. We're talking six figures. Dare I say in the rarest of occasions, even seven figures. So you really want to understand how this stuff works and you want to understand all the major terms of art that are important in the world of sync placements. And one thing that you want to be aware of as this question asker wants to be aware of is what it means for something to be exclusive versus non-exclusive in the world of sync licensing. And there's two places where you're going to see these terms pop up a lot in sync licensing. So the first scenario scenario, number one, we'll call it is how is a exclusivity for your song in terms of being able to only use it with one particular sync placement. So Let's say you wrote a song and recorded that song, and you own all the pieces of the song and the sound recording, and this song is awesome, and now TV production company wants to use your song in the particular program that they're going to use it in. Um, they, you know, Then they'll put a contract in front of you, which you better have a lawyer look at. I swear, people, get your lawyer involved here, especially when you're talking about assigning your intellectual property, lawyer, 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 get a lawyer. Please. Okay. Disclaimer out of the way. So one of the terms that might be negotiated in that license is whether or not the production company will have exclusive use over this song for synchronization purposes. So they may want to say, we only want the song to appear on this TV show. We don't want you taking your song and putting it in other TV shows or maybe in other commercials. They want to be the only TV show that's associated with this particular song being used on television. And you can agree to that, especially if a lawyer advises you that it's a good idea. But remember two things. One, if you are going to agree to, you know, to exclusivity with respect to your song on this particular platform, they better pay for that privilege. If you're not going to be, if if they're going to essentially lock your song up for other sync placements, they better pay you accordingly because you can't go and get that song placed in other places. So you want to make sure that you get some, uh, you know, get some compensation for that. And you also want to narrow the parameters, you know, um, you know, it's maybe if you, you know, they can't use the song, you can't use the song in TV commercial and you can't have the song placed in other TV commercials and they're a TV commercial. That's one thing. But if they start saying, oh, you know, you can't use it in movies and you can't use it in video games. Well, why? Like, that's not really in your same competitive industry, TV commercial. So, you know, you want to kind of watch all of those things and have a lawyer help you with them. Um, You also want to put a time component on the exclusivity, especially if it's a TV commercial. It's only going to run for a couple weeks or months. You know, they shouldn't have exclusivity to the end of time on this. There should be a time limit on it. And again, a lawyer can walk you through all those different pieces and parts. The other thing you want to make sure of with, with regard to exclusivity is if you do have exclusivity. If you have given away exclusivity on a particular use of a sync placement, you need to be aware of that and make sure that you do not try to get your song placed in a way that would violate that exclusivity provision. Once somebody's locked your song up, you got to obey the terms of that, because then if you go and sell, you know, a sync license to that song to somebody else in violation of your ex- the exclusivity agreement, you could be in a world of legal trouble, so keep a watch out for that and make sure you have a lawyer advising you every step of the way. And this can be something, folks, where if you're talking about real money, which you often can look at with sync placements, all the more reason to get a lawyer involved because there's actually going to be money to pay that lawyer. So make sure you get yourself protected. So the other place where you see the word exclusivity pop up in the world of sync placements is regard with regard to publishing administrators. So A publishing administrator is a organization that goes out and collects your publishing royalties for you. So you write a song and you want to make sure that you get all your performance royalties. You want to make sure you get all of your mechanical royalties, you know, when your songs are covered or when your songs played on the radio. And you can hire a publishing administrator to help get that, get that, uh, get all those royalties for you. A company like SongTrust. Uh, is a great publishing administrator. TuneCore does some publishing administration these days. There's a lot of different administrators out there. And there are even some administrators who will go and try to find sync placements for you. You see this sometime where publishing administrators will offer sync placement or what they call song plugging services where you can actually, they'll actually go and try to find opportunities for your music. And if they do find a sync placement for you, they'll split the money with you. The the, uh, publishing administrator will get some of the sync fee. They'll give you some of the sync fee. Everybody wins. Now where you see exclusivity pop up is that some of these publishing administrators in exchange for helping find synchronization opportunities for your music will demand that they are the exclusive shopper of your song for sync placement purposes. So TuneCore does this, for example. If you have TuneCore as a publishing administrator, their publishing administration agreement says that only TuneCore is allowed to get sync placements for your music. They have the exclusive right to find your sync placements. And if you're in a deal like that, that means that you're not allowed to go to another company to get those sync placements for you. There are companies that are called song pluggers like Jingle Punks does this, Taxi does this, where they're really good at going to find synchronization opportunities for your music in movies and television and commercials and video games and things like that. But if you've signed up with a publishing administrator that has the exclusive right to shop your material, then you can't go to those other companies. So make sure that you uh, are on top of that. Make sure you know whether or not you have one of these kind of publishing administrators that doesn't that that doesn't have the exclusive rights. Uh, TuneCore does want exclusivity. Uh, a company like Songtrust, as a publishing administrator, does not. So you want to make sure that you are watching out for that. If you have any questions, if you're worried, if you want to make sure you get your ducks in a row, talk to a lawyer. If lawyers are tough for you to afford because of your financial situation, there are a lot of fantastic volunteer lawyers for the arts organizations out there who can help you review your documentation, who can help make sure that you're all set. And ready to go because I'm telling you folks, you want to make sure you get your synchronization placement operation up and running. This is a huge revenue stream for artists and the right sync placement can also really help break your career. There are a lot of artists that have built amazing music careers and they got their break because they got their song placed in a television show and then that song became a huge hit after that. Ingrid Michaelson a great example of this. She started getting her songs placed in Grey's Anatomy one after another. And she was getting her songs placed in Old Navy commercials. One of our guests talked about that a few weeks ago. And now she's a big star. So sync placements can be huge. And so it's all the more reason to make sure you understand what you're doing. You understand the difference between exclusive and non-exclusive in the world of sync placements. And, of course, make sure you have a competent, talented lawyer advising you every step of the way. All right. Our thanks to Graham Cochran of The Recording Revolution for joining us this week. You were terrific. Our thanks to Women Crush Music for taking over the podcast for the next two weeks. They're going to be awesome. Please be kind to them, folks. Welcome them to the podcast. They are really doing us a solid taking over the show while I'm in China. And while I'm in China, guys, I'm going to miss you all terribly. Please don't forget about me. I will see you all in, I guess, three weeks when we run the podcast again in, uh, in February. I miss you terribly. I love each and every one of you. And, uh, I look forward to seeing you all again very, very soon. Thank you all for listening to the break the business podcast.